Hello and welcome to the first episode of Marshalls and Marbles, one fan's review of the Formula One season. I'm your host, Matt Shepard, and through the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to be reviewing the Brazilian Grand Prix. Now, I know what you're thinking. First episode, review of the Formula One season, and it's Brazil. This is an idea I came up relatively recently, and I'm just putting into production. So this podcast format will be to cover Sunday's race. I'll be covering the highlights and the major occurrences throughout. I'm not going to be covering lap by lap, personally. Take too long. I think it'd be rather boring. And if you want that, you'd be watching the race. I'll be finishing each podcast with a story from Formula One's past. Some of these stories will have a tie into the weekend, and others will just be events and races in the past that I think stand out. This podcast will be ever-evolving, and I thank you in advance for listening. Firstly, where did I get the name of Marshalls and Marbles? Well, for an avid fan, it's two terms that they would know well. For the average fan or new fan, you might not know them so well, so I'll explain. Marshals are those men and women you see stationed around the track who run out and pick up debris or move cars whenever there's an accident, and they're the ones waving the flags, the yellow flags, the blue flags, the red flags. They're integral people at a race, with some better than others. Marbles are little bits of rubber that fall off the tires during a lap and form on the outside of the racing line. The racing line is the fastest way around the track. Going off this racing line, your tires collect up these little marbles and they make the car slower and handle worse until they're gone. They do this by reducing the grip, so going off the racing line is not good. At the end of the race, though, you will see drivers going onto this part of the track to pick up marbles to add weight. They do this so that when they get weighed at the end of the race, that they make sure their car passes FIA scrutineering. All the cars are measured. If they're too light, they get a penalty. And so they do this, pick up weight, they make sure that they pass, and they don't get a penalty. So, welcome to Marshalls and Marbles. So with this weekend, I am going to have to cover a bit of background. This race weekend had a sprint race used to set the grid. Now normally race weekends have two practice sessions on Friday, one Saturday morning, and qualifying Saturday afternoon leading to the race on Sunday. Sprint race weekends are a new addition to F1. Personally, I think they're great. Instead of qualifying on Saturday, we have it on Friday, and this sets the grid for Saturday's sprint race, and the first three cars at the end of the sprint race take home three points for first, two points for second, and one point for third. And as well, the order of the finish for the sprint race is how the race is set up on Sunday. So if you're first in the sprint race, you're first on Sunday. If you're last on the sprint race on Saturday, you're last on Sunday. Now, sprint races are shorter than the normal race, and for Brazil, this was 100 kilometers or 24 laps. So after Friday's qualifying, Lewis Hamilton was first, Max Verstappen second, and Valtteri Bottas third. After qualifying, Red Bull lodged a formal complaint with the FIA, the governing body of F1. Think NCAA for U.S. college sports. Their complaint was saying that Hamilton's rear wing DRS was flexing too much. Now, DRS is a flap on the rear wing that, when opened, gives the car around a 10 to 12 km hour speed boost that allows for better overtaking. Overtaking had been a problem that F1 had been facing for well over the past decade, and within the past couple of years, they had DRS to enable overtaking. It helps by allowing air to pass through the rear wing, reducing drag. The way DRS works is that you have to be within one second of the car in front when you go over what's called the DRS detection zone. This is before what's called the DRS zone, which is the zone when the rear wing is up. So, you pass within one second of the DRS zone, 
and then DRS detection zone, and then you're in the DRS zone, your rear wing opens up, and if you're close enough, you can pass. Once you hit the end of the DRS zone, or if you hit the brakes, it closes the flap. If you're outside with one second, when you pass over the detection zone, no DRS. So naturally, a wing that moves will flex, but flex too much, and it's a problem. Lewis's wing was tested and failed. So, what happened was, between qualifying and the sprint race, the rear wing was tested by the FIA using a device that go fits through the wing. If it fits through, it's a problem. So it was not within the rule, and we're talking millimeters here, he was disqualified from Friday's qualifying, which put him at the back of the sprint race for Saturday. On top of that, he had a five-place grid penalty for changing power units. So, race Sunday. I'm not going to go over every lap, just highlights in my eye. So, start of the race, Max Verstappen goes down the inside of Valtteri Bottas after Bottas goes a little bit wide, and this allows Perez to close the gap in turn one. And again, he goes wide in turn four, and Perez passes. But with the speed of the Mercedes, I knew it was not going to last long. The Red Bulls were fast, they just weren't fast enough. Now, a little bit further back, Norris tags signs and gets a puncture. Puts him near the back of the grid, unlucky. He tried it, wasn't going to pass, didn't work. It happens. Lap 1, Hamilton is already up to 7th at this point, showing the pace of that Mercedes. So in lap 5, Yuki Tsunoda hits Stroll into turn 1, and a huge amount of debris everywhere. Later on, Tsunoda will get a penalty, and of course, I th think he deserves this. He dies practically at the beginning of the start-finish straight, trying to pass Stroll on the inside. Now, I know Senna said, if you don't go for the corner, you are no longer a racing driver. That was late braking. What Sonoda was doing, I don't even know what it was. Late braking is close to the car behind you, late on the brakes, you pass him on the inside, maybe the outside. Not diving from practically the last corner to the first corner. So the safety car is out for this. Now a lot happens with a safety car. Safety cars will wait until they pick up the leader, and once they do, they follow the path and you have to stay behind the safety car. There's no overtaking, there's no passing, and everybody goes at the speed of the safety car. Now, while you see this, you will see cars that, in the back of the safety car, they will be weaving left and right. Now, they do this in order to keep tiring the temperatures. Because the safety car is slower, the tires lose temperature, the tires lose temperature, they lose grip. One of the things as well with a safety car is if you pit at the wrong time, you lose big time. That's why when you see a safety car, they will be talking a lot about do you pit now, do you not, what do we do? So lap 10, the safety car ends. Once the safety car ends, the leader, so the car in first, is now the de facto safety car. And so what that means is they set the pace. Can't go too slowly. You also can't start racing until you hit the safety car line. The safety car line is the spot of the pit entry where the safety car's in, and once you reach that, you can go racing again. So the goal is to try, and once you get past that safety car line, is to launch your car and catch the car behind you sleeping. Because as you know, they're quite close and they could easily pass you. So if you do it right, the car behind you gets caught unaware, and they lose out, you go too f you're off. Go too soon or too late, get it wrong, you lose the advantage. Max's restart was brilliant, and I gotta say I was on the edge of my seat watching. Verstappen is now leading with Perez, Hamilton, and Botas, second, third, and fourth. Lap 11, Schumacher tags Kimi from the front wing, and we go under a virtual safety car. 
Now, a virtual safety car is a safety car, but it's just that, it's virtual. So there's no physical car on the track. But the drivers have to follow a delta. What that means is a time. They can't go faster, and they can go slower, but you don't want to. So if you go too fast, you get a penalty. You Basically, it's around 40% that they have to reduce their speed. Now, the thing with the virtual safety car versus safety car is once the virtual safety car ends, that's it. You're racing. So if the virtual safety car ends when you're in a disadvantaged spot, so in other words, if you're at a turn and somebody's coming up behind you, tough luck. So placement really matters when you're on the track when the safe virtual safety car ends. So lap 30, we have another virtual safety car because of debris from Stroll's car falling off still from Sonoda's accident. This is important because it shows what advantage the virtual safety car can be, as well as the safety car. So when this comes out, Botas pits and gets what they call a cheap pit stop. What is this? Now while all pit stops are the same time and speed, the speed is limited to 80 kilometers hour in the pit lane. The cars on the track must slow down, and that means they can't catch you. So the thing is, is when you're in the pit lane, you're going much slower. The cars around you are going much faster. So if they can close the gap, and they're within less time than it takes you to enter the pit lane, change your tires, exit the pit lane, you're passed. But with a safety car, if it's on the right spot, or better yet, a virtual safety car, you're going slower, yes, but so are they. So there's more time added for them to get to you. So around this time, Max makes a statement of not getting caught by the undercut. The undercut is when the car behind pits before the car ahead does, and on fresher tires, the car that was behind can lap a lot quicker than the lead car, and therefore closes the gap between the two, so that when the lead car pits, the car that is behind passes and takes over their spot. It's a way to pass when you can't pass someone on the track. So on lap 40, Lewis sends a coded message back to the pit to check the color switch. Now that's what I heard, so that's what I'm going with. Coded messages are all over F1, with radio communications open to everyone, that's the fans, teams, and spectators on the track. This has led to some famous lines in Formula 1 history trying to be coded, especially in the era of no team orders. Team orders were when teams decided the placement of their drivers and moved them as they saw fit. F1 tried to ban this for a while, and it led to the famous line when Fernando Alonso and Felipe Massa were both at Ferrari that Fernando is faster than you and magically Massa moves over and lets him pass. So Max pits on lap 41 to prevent the overcut. Botas pits on lap 42 but ends up behind Verstappen and questions this. You're going to see a lot of drivers questioning strategy done by the team. The teams think they do what's best, sometimes listen to the driver, sometimes they won't. So with this, Botas is right on the strategy on Mercedes. They got it wrong. Max's placement is now cemented at the front with that pit stop. Hamilton pits on lap 44, and Max passes him. Lap 48, the real lap. So turn 4, Max goes wide and forces Hamilton wide to live another day. Later footage, Max shows steering wheel never goes right. It goes left. Formula 1 is filled with this controversy. Whenever you force a driver wide, that's a problem. This was just the next one. If you turn into the driver, you can face a penalty. If you don't turn, you can face a penalty. It's really tricky. It comes down to footage and data used. If there's intention to stop trying to turn, 
that's really when you can face a penalty. Otherwise, it's no, chalked up to what's called a racing incident. No penalty. From the get-go, I thought it was a racing incident. You don't see Ham Max's wheel, but you can see the tires. And they don't turn right. He's trying to make that corner. He just overcooked it. And I don't think Max is that stupid. Now, the rest is usual business. Like I said, I'm not doing a lap-by-lap -lap review. So we've got Lewis first, Max second, Botas third to finish the race, which is what I figured. Surprised that Botas was third with that Mercedes pace. So it could have been a 1-2 for Mercedes, but I think Botas is right, and they threw it away with that pit stop that I mentioned earlier. So Perez is fourth, which I expected because the Red Bull in Perez is the fourth best car. The two Ferraris of Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc are fifth and sixth, which I'm not going to lie, it's a bit surprising. Ferrari has been up and down these past few seasons, and this season they seem to be doing on the right side of performance. Same with the Alpines. I was not expecting Alpine to be good, as good this season. Norris was a bit unexpected. The McLaren has been good with pace, but after that accident, I didn't expect he was going to be able to do much. He was 10th. Wasn't a spectacular weekend, in my opinion. Didn't help with the accident, but there it is. Kimi was in 12th. Awesome to see. Love it. So at this point, Max's lead is now 332 points to Lewis's 332.5 points, sorry, to Lewis's 318.5. Botas is a distant third. This is normally unexpected. The past few seasons between the Sebastian Vettel era and now the Lewis Hamilton era, they've had it sewn up with many races left to go. So this is great. Mercedes leading instructors of 521.5 to Red Bull's 510.5. Again, same thing. Never this late, Mercedes and Red Bull in the past have normally had it sewn up a long time ago. Ferrari's Lady McLaren, 287.5 to 256. That's going to come down to the final couple races. Alpine and Afrotori are 112 points apiece. Don't really know how that's going to happen. I think it's going to come down to luck. Aston Martin is in their spot with 68, Williams with 23, Alpha with 11, and Haas with 0. Another sad season for Haas. Now, on to the F1 story. This week's memory is brought to you by Red Bull protesting Mercedes' rear wing of Lewis Hamilton's car. Now, Formula 1 has a long history of teams going after each other in terms of rule bending and trying to get cars or aspects of cars disallowed and the benefit from that lost. From the six-wheeled F1 car of Williams or Active Aero and the, or blown diffuser, it's almost a tradition and it's not a season without one. This one, we're going to have to go all the way back to 2007 for Spygate, or as some will call it, Stepneygate. Now this isn't related to the NFL Spygate for American listeners. This is F1 Spygate. Now I'm not going to go into minute details of this. It really deserves hours just of itself. Today's going to be a Coles Note version. So prior to the 2007 F1 season, Ferrari's chief mechanic, Nigel Stepney, publicly announced his displeasure with his role within Ferrari. Now this is something that you don't do. Ferrari doesn't like you airing their dirty laundry. So a deal was struck and Nigel Stepney stepped into another role, one that would allow him not to attend races. But, as it turns out, Stepney still wasn't happy. During the US Grand Prix that year, it was announced that Ferrari had opened an investigation against him. And eventually this led to his firing. And at the same time he was fired, Ferrari announced that they were opening an investigation against somebody at McLaren. 
Now this turned out to be Michael Coughlin, the chief designer at McLaren. At the same time, McLaren also opened an investigation against him. What was, all what was it all about? No one really knew. What it turns out was that Nigel Stepney had passed to Coughlin the entire technical plans for that year's Formula One Ferrari car, all 800 pages of it. And Coughlin, in his genius, decided to give this to his wife to get photocopied in a store near the McLaren factory. Only problem was that the person at that store was a huge Tifosi Ferrari fan who emailed Stefano Domenicali at Ferrari about this, which led to the aforementioned investigation. Now, long story short, in the initial round of investigations, yes, initial, McLaren were found to have breached the sporting code, but no punishment was levied, as it was deemed no other person than Coughlin had access to the info and it wasn't used in the McLaren car. End of story, or was it? Enter the 2000 Hungarian Grand Prix in August. Fernando has was the recent double world champion, and of the 05 and 06 seasons, beating Michael Schumacher. And he had moved to McLaren, and after Schumacher retired, he was expected that Alonso would keep winning and be the next Schumacher. Kimi had taken over Michael's seat, and Alonso was paired to McLaren with a young rookie, a personal project of Ron Dennis, then head of McLaren, one Lewis Hamilton. Now Alonso entered this season assuming that he would be the first driver. The first driver in Formula 1, there's where there are two drivers, the first driver is what's normally considered the better driver. And they're the one who gets updates first when the factory can't do two. And the second driver is kind of along for the ride. If they win, they win. They don't, they don't. Uh, if it comes down to it, a team will favor the first driver if they're in the title fight. Now, as I said, Alonso would assume that he would be the first driver because he's Fernando Alonso, the double world champion. I beat Schumacher at his height. Except... Hamilton was Ron's guy, and he was quick straight out the gate. It was contentious all year, and then hungry. It was a disastrous weekend for McLaren because it all came unraveled. Alonso unhappy with qualifying, and through this, the treatment his people had gotten from Ron Dennis, sent an email to Ron saying, if you don't change things, I'm sending an email to the FIA that show communications between you, me, Pedro De La Rosa, their test driver, Coughlin, and Dennis, all about Nigel Stepney's documents and the Ferrari car that you said, and everybody agreed, no one else knew about. Now, Ron, not wanting to be blackmailed, went to Max Mosley, the head of the FIA, and told him all this. Max opened the investigation again, and McLaren, realizing they're probably going to get caught with a bit more this time, accused Renault of spying. The, we are, we're going down, you're going down with us too. And so the end result was, Renault was found, yes, to have committed some spying. No penalty for them. McLaren, not so much. At the end of it all, all the constructors' points were stripped from McLaren, including any points that they could go win going forward. The drivers got to keep their points. They were given immunity for providing information. And McLaren was levied a $100 million fine. So, the end result of this was a championship that went down to a single point with Kimi Raikkonen winning out over Lewis and Fernando. Fernando then left McLaren, like you would. Lewis went on next year to win uh, his first championship, 
with McLaren and his only championship, I should say. And Fernando has not really done much since. So, that is episode one of Marshalls and Marbles. Thank you for listening. The next episode, I will be covering the inaugural Qatari Grand Prix. Thank you.